1: From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rutherford.
2: When they came back with a verdict, we went in. I remember standing there and... They come back and they say, you know, we find him guilty. And I was like, I had nothing to do with this. The hell, you know, my life's over with. And uh, the two sheriffs got behind me. And um, I had my wallet, my watch, and my phone in my pocket. And I remember uh, taking it out, giving it to my attorney to give to my mom. I turned around, looked at my mom's family, and they couldn't believe it. They were crying. And I just, I waved at my mom and I told them goodbye.
1: The voice you just heard is Pablo Velez Jr. In 2006, he was convicted for the murder of 17-year-old Emerson Boyarquez and sentenced to serve 30 years in prison. Emerson was killed, and a man named Adrian Payan was injured. It was a Wild West-type shootout at a nightclub in Houston on the night of July 14th leading into the morning of the 15th in 2004. Over the next several weeks, you're going to learn just how ludicrous Pablo's conviction was and just how deep the corruption flows in Harris County. This is Season 11, Episode 1, The Perfect rack. At 2.06 a.m. on July 15, 2004, the Harris County Dispatch Center received multiple 911 calls reporting a shooting at the Perfect Rack Pool Hall and Sports Bar. The Perfect Rack was located on Magnum Street in the northwest quadrant of Houston. It was closing time at the club, and the scene outside in the parking lot was absolute chaos. The story goes something like this. Adrian Payan was cruising around Houston that night with a chip on his shoulder. By my estimation, looking through the case file, it seems like he might have been looking for a fight. On the night of the 14th, a Wednesday night, his girlfriend Claudia and a friend we'll call Alice were hanging out at the Perfect Rack. Throughout the evening, Adrian made a few trips to the club. Once to pick up some money from Claudia so that he could buy a dog. Once because he thought there was a guy there that he wanted to confront. And then a third and final time, right as the bar was closing. Between the second and third trip, Adrian picks up his buddy Esteban, known as Escobar to his friends, and 17-year-old Emerson. Adrian says that he received a call from Claudia informing him that someone at the bar wants to fight him, so he and his buddies head back to the perfect rack. When they get there, Adrian and Escobar get out of the car, and as far as they knew, young Emerson was still in the back seat. Adrian sees a man named Jason Woolley standing outside the front door near Claudia and her friend that we're calling Alice. Adrian is ready to fight. He walks aggressively towards Jason and takes his shirt off in the process. And then, all hell breaks loose. Jason pulls a pistol out of his waistband and fires a shot into the ground. Adrian freezes. Then Jason shoots Adrian through his abdomen. Everyone is panicking, and as Adrian turns and runs, he realizes there's a second shooter. There's a man in a blue shirt in the parking lot, standing near a gold Cadillac with an assault rifle, firing in his direction. It was an ambush. Adrian and Escobar run across the street to a bus garage to hide, and Jason is chasing behind them, still shooting. Eventually, Jason gives up and runs to the gold Cadillac and jumps into the car with the blue shirt man with the assault rifle, and they speed away. Claudia sees the whole incident go down. In fact, she says she was chasing behind Wooly when he was running after Adrian. When she sees the two shooters get into the gold caddy, she and Alice jump into their car and follow it, hoping to get the license plate number. And in all the chaos, no one even noticed that Emerson had been killed in the crossfire. This story doesn't begin, though, on Wednesday night. In order to get a full picture, we need to jump back two days, to Monday night. At least that's when Adrian believes the story begins. Before I explain what happened on Monday night, you need to know a little bit about Adrian for context. By his own admission, he was a gang member. Adrian was 19 years old at the time of the shooting and had already affiliated himself with a prison gang. He was a guy who believed in street justice, which he discusses in an interview over 10 years after the shooting. He said that, as he put it, he was being stupid back then and wanted to take care of things himself rather than let the police handle it. Knowing that, this is his original 2004 written statement, taken by Detective Roy Swainson, regarding a fight that he had gotten into on the Monday night before the shooting. Please excuse the language I'm quoting directly from the statement. I was recently released from the state jail for the offense of felony theft. I was released from the lyncher unit in September of 2003, then I was sent to a TYC unit for an earlier juvenile escape. I was released from there on December 8, 2003. While in jail, I chose to associate myself with the TDC organization gang known as Tango Blast or Hugh Stone. I have a tattoo of Hugh Stone on my right bicep. Hugh Stone does not get along with the other well-known prison gang called the Texas Syndicate. I usually hang out with my friends who mostly live in the Heights area, around 11th Street through 28th Street. I also like to drink at the neighborhood bars and pool halls. One of the places I go to is the Perfect Rack Pool Hall on Magnum and Bank Shots on 34th Street. A lot of my friends and girls work there and hang out there also. This past Monday, I was at the Perfect Rack with my other girlfriend, Monica. While there, I left to use the men's restroom. Monica followed me to the men's restroom because she wanted a cigarette. There's a guy that works the bathroom selling grooming products and cigarettes. While I was using the urinal, Monica opened the door to get a cigarette. While the door was open, she said to me, You want me to hold your peace? She was referring to holding my dick. There was another guy at the next urinal, and he started to laugh and said something like, you can come over here and hold my piece too. And then he laughed. I said to him, what the fuck are you laughing at? He said to me, fuck you. He walked out and that was it for a minute. But before I got out of the men's room, he returned with some other dudes. He walked up behind me and blindsided me with a punch to my left eye. I didn't see it coming. Two other guys began to beat on me also. While beating me, I saw them chunking Texas Syndicate Longhorn signs to me. They were indicating that they were T.S. A fourth guy threw Monica up against the wall so she couldn't leave or help me. They left, and that was it. I suffered a left black eye, scratches, and a bloody nose. I walked out of the pool hall with Monica and her little brother, Alan. While sitting on the curb, another fight broke out in the parking lot. That fight was not related to my fight. End quote. Adrian was interviewed by Harris County Assistant District Attorney Andrew Smith in 2017. And in that interview, 13 years later, he wasn't nearly as shy about naming the men who he was beefing with.
0: So on Monday, you go to the perfect rack, and that's when you're there with Monica, right? All right, and then you go to the bathroom, and then that's whenever you get beat up. Mm-hmm. All right, and then so who actually beats you up?
3: Shorty. Jason and Ron was just holding Monica at the
0: door. Alright. And so did you know Shorty, Jason, and Ron Strandberg before that day?
3: I don't know them like that. There's no other
0: one. Okay. And then you had said that they threw gang signs while they were beating you up.
3: No, while they were doing it. It was like afterwards.
0: Okay. And so tell me about that. What did they do?
3: They're chugging up like TS signs, but I think they're just
0: doing it just to throw me off. Do they wear anything on their face to prevent you from being able to identify them? Mm-hmm. Right, because it's a bar fight, right? I mean, they come in. I mean, this all comes around because Monica makes a statement, and then so which one makes a statement to Monica? Shorty. And what's Monica's last name? <clears throat> okay, so Shorty makes a statement to Monica. Uh, and then what, what do you do after he makes that statement?
3: Nothing, really. He just, he just, when I started using the recipe, he just hit me from the
0: back. Okay, but you don't say anything to him after he makes that statement to your girl?
3: No, I was laughing. He said, what are you laughing at? That's he started about,
0: and then kind of walk me through kind of w- what do you remember? So they're beating you up, they throw T S gang signs at you to throw to throw you off. And then what happens on Monday night? Monday so, night? Yeah. That happened Monday night. No, I just, I, know. I, know.
3: I left. I left for that. Well okay. really the day when it got the scary, the security guy went and grabbed me and threw me out the club. And I left and just left it alone.
0: Okay, so let's kind of break this down. How long... You said you just knew of them. So how long had you known of Shorty?
3: Probably like about almost a year.
0: How long had you known of Jason Woolley? I
3: know I knew about around the same time amount of time.
0: So Strandberg, about a year.
3: Yeah, I don't know the same amount of time.
0: All right, so tell me... Like what were you thinking whenever you had been beat up on that Monday? I'm assuming you weren't happy about it, right?
3: No, I wasn't but I was drunk so I really really I forgot about it as soon as I left there.
0: Okay. So you didn't want any sort of revenge or anything no, like that? If I wanted
3: to I would have came back the same night.
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Two nights after the fight, the shooting happens. According to Adrian, it was the same guys that attacked him on Monday night that shot him on Wednesday night. He says that the Monday night attackers the men he later names as Jason Woolley, Ron Strandberg, and Shorty Cisneros, had Claudia call him and come down to the club to, quote, fight one-on-one. Then, when Adrian shows up, he's ambushed, and Emerson is killed in the crossfire. I'm not fully convinced that Adrian wasn't actually the aggressor in the situation, but we'll get to that later. What we know for sure is that Jason Woolley was the shooter at the front door. Not only was he seen by multiple witnesses, but he later confessed. He admitted to shooting Adrian, but he refused to flip on his accomplices. He said he would take the hit himself. Years later, he claims that he didn't actually shoot anyone. He says that Adrian came after him, so he fired a warning shot at the ground, and that was it. He claims that it was another group of random people that shot Adrian and Emerson after that. Guys he doesn't know. It was just a crazy coincidence that they were there shooting at the same guy, at the same time, at the same place, when he happened to be innocently standing at the front door. I'm sure you can hear my eyes rolling. The question is, who was the second shooter with the assault rifle? Forensics show that Adrian and Emerson were shot with two different guns. Adrian was shot with a pistol, whereas Emerson was killed with a rifle. Now, I already told you that Pablo was convicted, and I'll be very clear that I'm fully convinced that he's innocent. So I'm sure that you're wondering how he was pegged as the second shooter. You might assume that he was friends with Jason Woolley and he was hanging out with him that night. Or maybe he was there but claims not to be the shooter. But that's not it at all. According to Pablo, not only was he not there, he was driving a semi-truck on the other side of town at the time of the murder.
2: Well, uh, as you know, it started back in 2004, and uh, I was, I drove 18 with her, so I was, I was gone, you know, most of the time. I would leave the company that I worked for. I would leave on Sundays, and I would get back home on Friday. So I'd be gone all week. On that particular week, I left me and one of my trainees that I was training. We left for the week. We went to, and we went everywhere. We went to Louisiana, uh, Mississippi. We went everywhere. And, uh, up into Shreveport, Louisiana from Boatport, Mississippi. And, uh, on our way to Odessa on, uh, on Wednesday, uh, the 14th of July. And, uh, I ended up having a, a gas leak in the generator that the truck, that the 18 wheeler had. So uh, we had a stop in Weatherford, Texas, and I called my dispatcher, told him I had a gas leak, uh, and I couldn't continue to Odessa. So he got with one of the other drivers and that was already in Odessa coming back to Houston, and we met up at a, at a Lowe's truck stop there in Weatherford, and we swapped loads. Trailers, we flock trailers, Mm -hmm. and uh, I ended up taking his trailer uh, back to Houston, and he ended up taking the one I was hauling back to Odessa. And uh, we got into Houston around after midnight from uh, Weatherford, which is outside of Dallas. And got into uh, Houston, uh, stopped at a truck stop because I had my trainee with me, so we had to stop and wait for his wife to pick him up. And uh, she picked him up. I went home to my mom's house, and uh, I showered. Uh, my little brothers were there. Uh, I ate a bowl of cereal. Still remember to this day. There was some Lucky Charms, <laughs> and uh, I uh, my Jaguar that I had at that time was flat, so I ended up going to uh, a ex girlfriend's house of mine in the 18th on the east side of town. I live on the north side of town.
1: hmm
2: And, uh, so I drove to her house in the A-Team with her, which is about, I don't know, 30 minutes, 30 minutes away. And, um, I stayed there. I got to her house around, I don't know, maybe 2.45 in the morning, 3 in the morning, somewhere around there. hmm And I stayed talking with her for about, uh almost two hours hour and a half, maybe two hours, and um talked for a little while and came back home and When I came home uh, i'm I'm in the eighteen weather, so I have to take big streets to get to my house and um they said the murder happened at closing time, which I think was two o'clock two a m mm-hmm. and i uh I got into Houston around twelve thirty, twelve forty five. I don't I don't remember exactly, but somewhere within those hours. And you know, I made a phone call when I was leaving uh Weatherford, so I was in Dallas, Texas, when I made this phone call because it picked up on the phone tower and we didn't find this out till, you know, afterwards when we got all the phone records. Um I made a phone call from Dallas at uh nine or eight fifty eight PM. So, everybody knows it's four to four and a half hours from Dallas to Houston. So, you know, it, it, let's just say four hours, right? And I was in Dallas at nine, leaving. So, that puts me nine, ten, nine, twelve, one o'clock in the morning in Houston.
1: hmm
2: Okay? And remember, I stopped at the truck stop to uh, uh, drop off my trainee and wait for his wife to pick him up. hmm So... You know, I don't know, the detectives got it confused and thought I got home at 1 o'clock in the morning or what they thought. But I stopped at the truck stop and waited for his wife for about maybe 20 minutes, maybe. So now that puts me there at 1.20 in the morning. And from there, from that truck stop to my mom's house, it takes about... 40 minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now that put, so now that puts me home at a little past 2 in the morning. So the murder had already happened.
0: With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at
0: LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Pablo's trainee, LG Holmes, testified at his trial and confirmed everything you just heard from Pablo. But we'll get into the trial later. For now, let's continue on with the details of the shooting. In 2017, Pablo had filed a habeas writ with the state. He was presenting new evidence and seeking an exoneration for actual innocence. This prompted the Harris County DA's office to do their own investigation. The interviews you're about to hear were recorded as part of that investigation. The voice asking the questions is Assistant District Attorney Andrew Smith. I think it's pretty important for you to hear what the three key witnesses had to say in 2017, knowing that none of them have any connection or relationship to Pablo Velez Jr., the man convicted. The three main witnesses are the surviving victim, Adrian Payan, his girlfriend Claudia, and her friend who we're referring to as Alice. Adrian claims that it was a call from Claudia that brought him, Escobar, and Emerson to the Perfect Rack at closing time that night. Here's her recollection of how things went down. I apologize for the audio. The interview was recorded outside in the wind.
4: I remember I was at um, the Perfect Rack. Okay. When she was filling out an application because she was trying to go back uh, to work there and um so we hung out there for a little while and adrian came in once with um with one of his, his guy friends and then he picked up my cell phone and he left and then some guys that were sitting uh, that were at a the different pool table they um they said if we could call him to go back over there. So, since he had my phone, I called him. I was like, hey, some guys wanted to talk to you or whatever. So, he came back around closing time. And, um, well, he was outside when we were walking out. Um, I saw Jason Wooley walking out. And um, as soon as Adrian started walking towards us, um, Jason Woolley um, just took out a gun and started shooting. He shoots just- at the floor first. Okay. And then um, Adrian and Esteban. Esteban. Yeah, we call they call them es- Escobar. But um, they both start running. So Jason starts running after them, shooting at them, towards them, and I'm running. almost close to Jason, I see this,
1: this other guy,
4: which it was Shorty, run out by, from besides the car, the go Cadillac, and um, he just starts shooting. He starts shooting. He has a bigger gun, but um, I see him start shooting, and then he takes off running, and they they go back they run back to the car and they get in the car i don't i'm not sure if somebody was driving the car if somebody was already in the car to drive because i don't remember anybody you know running in the, in the driver's seat so um they run in the car and they take off quick.
1: claudia goes on to explain that she chased behind Wooly. she also says that she saw another shooter with what she calls a machine gun wearing a blue shirt and standing by a gold Cadillac. She says he and Jason get into the caddy and it speeds away. And at that point, she and Alice get into their own car and they follow. Here's Alice's 2017 interview.
5: They were already talking when I stepped outside. And um, I was trying to talk to both of them. Claudia was going off on talking to him and he wasn't paying attention to her. So he was just looking straight and I remember looking at him and, and following his eyes to where he was seeing it and I saw Adrian coming up.
0: Okay.
5: He was walking up towards us and then um, Adrian started to take off his shirt. And as, as he did that I looked at, he, at um, Jason and he pulled out a gun.
0: Okay. Was Adrian by himself coming up there? Do you recall?
5: When I saw, he was walking up by himself. Okay. I know he right. was with other people, but what I saw was Adrian coming up. Okay. Then I go this way.
0: Okay. So do you actually see him fire the gun or um, at that point? He, pull, he
5: pulls out the gun and he points it at him. And when I did like this is when it went off. Okay. Like, everybody's running everywhere, so I run the other way.
0: Okay. And then did you see anybody else out there with any guns? No. Okay. So you didn't see any other potential shooters or anything no. like that? Eventually, I know you and Claudia get into the vehicle, is that correct? Yes. right, and can you kind of tell me what happens at that point? What's going on?
5: Uh, She says, um, the guy went in the car, the guy went in the car. Um, And I'm like, what guy? She's like, the guy, he's got the gun, he went in that car, follow him. Um, The car's going that way.
0: Do you think she's talking about Wooly, or do you think she's talking about somebody else?
5: No, she was talking about someone else.
0: Okay. And yeah. why why do you say that?
5: Um, Because I feel like at that time, it, there was so many, you know. And as we were running, she was like, no, no, that guy, he's got a gun. Um, It wasn't. I could tell it was not him.
0: Okay. Not Jason. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I use Wooly and I know you're using, I'll start using Jason. I
5: always call him Steven for some reason. Okay. <laughs> I've always said Steven. Um, yeah, I just didn't. It wasn't him and when we were in the car, um, we followed him and then that's, um, we got the plates and then that's it, we went back. We went back over there and then um, that's when we saw Emerson. Uh, we thought it was Adrian
2: Yeah.
5: and we saw Emerson and...
0: Did you know Emerson? No. Okay. Um, did you see anybody get into that vehicle that you end up following? No. Okay, so you don't know who was in the vehicle. You you don't know anything other than, apparently somebody was driving that vehicle and Claudia had said, hey, one of the shooters was in that vehicle.
5: Yeah, I believe she said that the shooter, uh, not the she didn't say the shooter, she said that guy with the gun, he's leaving in the car.
0: Okay. You know how many people
5: were in the car? Um, I don't know. She... You don't know her? You don't remember her. All she told me was that that it was a guy with a big gun. That's what she had said. Okay. Like um, She said it was like a big, um, from what I can recall, like a, she was saying like a military gun. She said it was a guy, because um, I didn't see him. But she did say it was a, a short guy with a big gun. She was like, you didn't see him? You didn't see him? I was like, no, I didn't see him. Okay. And because I didn't.
0: Yeah. Well, you were ducking, trying not to do Yeah.
5: And she, uh, she was pregnant at the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll, yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk about her but before. That was um,
5: that was um, when she was like, didn't you see him? And I said, no, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. But uh, she did and um, it was obvious it was the car because when we were going, I told her, are you sure this is a car? It was very obvious it was a car.
2: How was it obvious?
5: They were they were taking all the lights,
2: busting through the red lights.
5: Yeah, they took the lights. They um, they were just driving,
0: driving like driving to get the hell out of there. Yeah.
1: Now here's the surviving victim, Adrian's 2017 interview, and unlike in 2004, this time he's naming names.
0: Wednesday, you go back to the perfect rack. Mm And tell me about that.
3: Well, really, I just went in there and, um, because uh, somebody was stealing a dog. So I went over there and I got some money from my baby mama. But when I left, they told her they wanted to fight one on one. So they told me to come back. That's when I went back with him that's said, Escobar. All
0: right. And when you said baby mama, you mean Claudia, right? Yeah. So how many times did you go to the perfect rack on Wednesday night?
3: Like two or three times. I'm not really for sure.
0: And where would you see taking a step back out of Wednesday night? Where would you see Shorty, Jason, and Strandberg? All of them over at the same time. Every, every time I see them at the club. And when you say the club, do you mean the perfect, perfect rack? rack. All right, so would you see them outside in any other circumstances? No, 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 I've never seen them outside. So the only time you ever saw them was at the perfect when rack? at the club, because yeah, I used to be there hustling. All right, so the very first time you go into the perfect rack, that's whenever you get money from Claudia. Mm-hmm. All
2: right,
0: and are you the one who gets the money? Mm-hmm. All right, so she hands you the money, right? Yes, sir. Okay. All right, and then you leave, and where do you go? I go back to my neighborhood just riding around. And who's with you at that point? Escobar. Just Escobar? Yeah, I then we
3: stopped and picked up Emerson on 16th Street and Shepherd.
0: All right, so then it's the three of you, correct? hmm And then what do you all do?
3: Nothing. They called me and said they wanted to fly one-on-one, so I went back then we're gonna
0: fight one-on-one okay and then who called you to say hey they want to fight you one-on-one and she actually called you and spoke with you Mm -hmm. is that correct Mm -hmm. is that a yes yes sir okay all right so one-on-one who's the one Whoever. I mean, you're you're one. So who's the other one?
3: The one no specific. They just told me to show up. Somebody wanted to find me one on one Nobody said who or none of that.
0: I mean, did you think that it was a regarding Monday? Yeah. Okay. So you didn't ask. Well, which one is it? Is Cause it? Because you knew them at this point, right? Yeah. So you didn't say, "Hey, is it Ron? Is it Wooly? Is I didn't it?" I say none of that. I just went, showed up. All right. Then what happens?
3: When, uh, when I got out the car with Escobar, we walked to the front, and Jason was standing at the front door with a red shirt on. Okay. And then when we were walking up to him. He just uh said, you trying to run up, and then he pulled his little gun out, cocked it, and he started shooting. Me and Escobar turned around and run. You said, what are you trying to do, run up? That's what he said. Meaning that you all trying just, to run up on him? Yeah, or? He, he just said, y'all trying to run up, and then he just pulled a gun out and
0: started shooting. Alright, then what happens? Well, I ran
3: across the street to that bus barn. Okay. Okay. Then what? That was really it. I seen, uh. uh they took off and they chased them down to get the plates and all that.
0: When you say they took off, who took off?
3: Uh, Shorty,
0: Jason, and They all left in one vehicle? Yeah, they all left in the same leg. And did you see them leave?
3: Yeah, I seen them leave. I was under the bus behind the tire hide.
0: Who was driving the vehicle?
3: To be honest, I want to say Shorty, because he was the only one by the car at first. Jason was the last one in the car. I know that, but as far as who was driving that around, Shorty, I'm not sure. But Shorty had the, the big assault rifle standing outside. He was the closest to the car.
0: All right, so why do they want to kill you? I have no idea.
3: To be honest, I guess it was just because of the fight. I never beefed with them.
0: I never nothing with them at all. Okay, but they kick your ass. It's not like you kicked their ass, and now they need revenge. So why why do they care about you?
3: I have no idea. I really don't.
1: I have to agree with Smith. I'm just not buying the fact that Adrian was coerced into an ambush. The events of the actual shooting aren't in question, but I tend to believe that Adrian may have instigated the fight, which resulted in the ambush. But either way, it doesn't really matter. It was Emerson who lost his life, and by all accounts, he was an innocent bystander. And in all of these witness statements, from 2004 through today, including the trial... There's something very important missing.
2: The trial only lasted three days, and they found me guilty. And uh, I went to trial, and I'm sitting in there, and I'm like, okay, well, when are y'all going to start talking about me? Because I don't hear nobody mentioning my name. I don't know. None of it makes sense. None of it still makes sense.
1: No one. And I mean, no one ever named Pablo Velez as the shooter. Never. So, how in the hell was he convicted? That's next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondering, Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross at CreatedIntanum.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McAlaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yomnik, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that always include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I personally can be found on social media at Bob Ruff Truth, and Mike can be found at MerbGaming. M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.